0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. What we received. Because it's clear to me that people here are understanding that this is a season in which God is calling individuals and churches to a place of repentance and to refocus, to reorganize, to consider our priorities in life and look at things very, very differently. And let me suggest to you and to those watching online that this call to repentance perhaps has many levels to it. In other words, some of you might initially think of, oh, yeah, I've got this one issue that I keep struggling with and I need to repent from that. But I dare say for all of us, there are multiple levels of things from which we need to repent, some of which may be very obvious in our lives, but some may be very subtle things. Maybe there are pockets of judgmentalism, or maybe you've even even filtered your heart and seen that there is a place of prejudice or something of that nature that you need to repent. And then perhaps most significantly is the need to repent from idolatry, that is from loving anything in this world more than you love God himself. And I dare say for all of us, if there has not been a place of recent idolatry, at least there has been a temptation in that direction. And I believe that God is calling us to repent. And so that has been the message that I've been emphasizing, and certainly many others have. I hear this going out in many places. And so I said then, if the church repented, If we as individuals, if we truly humbled ourselves before God and we repented, what would the true church look like? And that's what we've been exploring over the last few weeks. And if you've been around here, you know that so far we've covered several characteristics. The first of which is that we would truly love God more than we love the world and in fact it's not it really even shouldn't be that statement it's not loving him more than the world it's loving him period and not loving the world and yet probably the greatest problem for the church in the United States is that we love the world far more than we love God and that's rooted in our own selfishness and our own pride We also said that a true church is one that is living in the fear of him, that he is the one who's created all things, he has all authority on heaven and earth, and that he is in complete control of our individual lives. Not a one of us is guaranteed another day apart from him. And to live in fear of him is not to live with this this cringing fear that he's going to do something to me, but rather to respect him utmostly. So that I live and make choices honoring him in everything all of the time. Thirdly, we said that a true church is aspiring to holiness. That every single one of us should seek to live a holy life. And when we fail, we repent, we get up, we get back on track. But we want to honor him with holiness because we love him. If you love the world more than you love God, you will not be concerned about holiness. And then we said that a true church proclaims truth. And an enormous problem, not only in this country, but around the world, is that there is false teaching everywhere. But think about in New Testament times how often Paul warned about the false teachers around him. And it's just that false teaching looks differently in different time periods, it always appeals to the flesh. It always has some measure of truth, some measure of deception, and always appeals to the flesh. And then we said that a true church is one that loves other people. And in particular, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about that. I said two weeks ago that the great problem is that we love ourselves. And I do believe where the scripture says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbor, that those are the two commandments, that those are the two That this idea that you are to love yourself is often interjected in that. But I do not believe that is the truth. We naturally love ourselves, but we love ourselves with a fallen love. And as a consequence, we are very self-centered people. And we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, repent of the things that are not of God, despise those things that are in us that are not of him in order to love others. And so the idea of loving others is very important because love is a choice. And this is where we were last week in 1 Corinthians, all these statements about what love is, that it's patient and kind and so forth, that love is a choice, but not a singular choice. It is a continuous daily choice. Do you realize every single day you are faced with little choices, sometimes big ones, that affect how you relate to other people, and those choices, each individual one, is a choice about loving, that during our lifetime we make thousands upon thousands of choices about loving, and they are cumulative A person who chooses repetitively to love others with agape love, unconditional love, that it adds up. And those who choose to make selfish decisions over and over, there is a cumulative effect but in a negative way. And so we consider the idea that you and I are making choices all the time that have impact upon others and we do reap what we sow. And so I gave us this definition last week about love involves choices to deny our naturally self-centered perspective, attitude and inclinations. And it encompasses decisions to deny our fallen, prideful self our prideful self-focus and humbly, selflessly live in the power of Christ. You see, a person who does not know Christ is only capable of worldly love, which is conditional, that I care for you if you do the right things for me, if you meet my expectations, if you meet my standards. But a godly love is unconditional, saying that I will be concerned about you, serve you in all things regardless of the situation. It's considering others before myself. We also, in our discussion last week, talked about hatred as this opposite of love. And certainly in our society today, there is a lot of bitterness and anger, anger and resentment and hatred. And hatred does build up when you harbor those things. And unfortunately, you cannot expect a person who does not know God to walk in forgiveness the answer always to these problems of hatred and bitterness somewhere in there is forgiveness. But a person who does not know Christ does not know that avenue. I know before I met Christ, I knew nothing, zero, about forgiveness. I'd never seen it modeled. I hadn't uh, understood teachings about forgiveness or anything. I did not understand. And yet the essence of the gospel of Christ is forgiveness, First for you, and then each of us called to forgive others. And so forgiveness is the antidote to hatred. There's so many people today who need that medicine, the medicine of forgiveness. And then the last thing we talked about last week is the scripture in Hebrews where it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That not only are we called to love others ourselves and to make choices in that regard, but to encourage others to do likewise. And do you realize that you can be a strong influence upon other people in loving others? In fact, you can be a strong influence upon others with just about every area. There are a lot of people living in fear right now. You can be one who walks in peace and influences others to do the same, to walk in faith and in peace. But you can also spur one another on toward love. And I, over the years that my wife and I have been married, there are a lot of things about her personality and her characteristics that are very, very different from mine. And she's much better at naturally loving people. And so as a consequence, she has really taught me by example or encouraged me to be a more loving person. And see, this is exactly what this scripture is saying, that we spur one another on toward love. That in so doing, that we really are looking for the day of the return of Christ, knowing that we will give an account for our lives and that how we live on a daily basis really does matter. Now, where I want to go this week is talk about another of these ideas about what does the true church look like. And I believe that a true church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, sadly... Throughout the history of the church, a lot that has been done in the name of church has really been done in the power of man rather than the power of God. And that has been historically true and certainly it is true today in the world around us. And all the things that I just talked about, about proclaiming truth and loving God, there's so many things that are apart from that, people who teach universalism and things of that nature. Well, that it's not done in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's done in the power of the flesh, sometimes with a demonic influence. That wherever man is walking in the power of the flesh, in pride, it allows the spirits of evil to have influence and say in what might be taking place. And the church today desperately needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say the church, you probably know that I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about each individual who knows Christ and walks with him. And the, the worldwide body of true believers, that's the real church. There are many organizations called churches that may or may not be so, probably most of which have some true believers within them who are a part of the church and many who are not. But the true church is that in which the Spirit of God dwells in individuals and collectively we are the body of Christ in the world. And for the body of Christ to be effective in the world, each individual must be one who is spirit-filled, walking in the power of the Spirit, so that you are influential as God would have you be. But you see, here is a big problem. If, If you love the world more than you love God, you will operate in the power of the flesh or the power of man more than in the power of the Spirit. Do you realize that? See, if we love the things of the world, our focus is upon ourselves, and we're walking in pride, and we will naturally walk in our own power rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, the Scripture talks about wood, hay, and stubble. The things that human beings do under religious endeavors or in the name of God that God himself never called them to do, that he never empowered them to do, and they will be worthless. They will burn eternally. They will not stand in the judgment. But if something is done in the power of the Spirit, if God is working in you in the power of the Spirit affecting others, that will be something that will merit an eternal reward for you. And remember, the best side of that is it's God's Spirit in you working through you so that He is the one doing it, not you. You will be rewarded for what He does. But if you're doing it in your own strength, it will fail. And look at the history of the church. In fact, what we record as history in anything or specifically history of the church is always inadequate because history tends to record what a leader did like a pope or something like that or a bishop and and what happened on a large scale history does not record what happened in each individual life and what God was doing and how the spirit was speaking to them and things of that nature but in church history there have been things done in the name of God take like the inquisitions Oftentimes, the Inquisitions were persecuting people who were probably walking in the Spirit. It was the organized religion standing against the work of the Spirit. And in this country and certainly around the world, oftentimes, religion is standing against the work of the Holy Spirit. I've known individuals who were specifically ostracized from a church setting because they were walking in in the Spirit and doing the things that God wanted them to do. That religion stands against the Holy Spirit. And you see, we live in a time when if you are a believer whose only walk with God is one of just a rational belief, and a set of religious practices and a set of moral standards, if that's all there is to your Christian life, then you will fail. You see, your your Christian life has to be deeper, has to be a relationship with the living God where he's speaking to you, empowering you in order to stand perhaps now more than ever. We are in a time where it is no longer safe to be lukewarm. You see... For many decades in this country, it was safe to be lukewarm, but it's not any longer. If you're going to walk in the power of Christ and live a godly life in the age in which we are in, you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's no other alternative. Now, to explore this, I want to go to this scripture in Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet in the Old Testament, a profound prophet. And the Lord spoke to him about things that were going to occur in this particular context. It says that he, that is the angel of the Lord, and let me explain that little part. Earlier in verses prior to that, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and spoke to him. Now sometimes in scripture when it says something about an angel appearing and speaking, it is just that, an angel serving God. And this can occur in any given situation. But in the Old Testament, there are times when the Scripture, as it's translated into English, would have the definite article of the angel of the Lord. And these are most likely times when God himself spoke to an individual. We would call it a theophany, when when God spoke or when he appeared, or a Christophany, when Christ himself appeared before the incarnation. And in this case, it's God himself speaking to Zechariah. And he's speaking something very important. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, we'll go on and read this, and then I'll come back and explain it a little bit. He says, what are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of blessed, blessed. Now, let me explain. When he says, not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. He's saying, Zerubbabel, you have a mission and you are going to accomplish it, but you are not going to accomplish it in your strength or in your power. It can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God being at work. And so then you must understand the context and the time period in which Zerubbabel lived. You see, Israel was probably at its zenith, the highest point, under King David and Solomon. And then, of course, Solomon's descendants couldn't get along with each other. The nation of Israel divided into the northern and southern kingdom, and they wandered off and worshiped many other things. There were a few kings who followed Solomon who would correct the course, but inevitably, Israel and Judah would go further and further away from God. And God sent prophets to warn them that judgment was going to come. And eventually, judgment did come. In 586 B.C., when, when the Babylonians overran Israel and conquered it, destroyed the temple, carried off the artifacts from the temple back to Babylon, and basically left Israel as a wasteland and Jerusalem destroyed, including the temple. And that occurred before Zerubbabel was born, okay? Now, think of it, too, that Babylon was, is in what modern location? Ancient Babylon is modern-day Iraq. And so think of it as if Iraq attacked and destroyed Israel and destroyed Jerusalem and carried off the artifacts back to there. That's like what occurred in 586 B.C., And God had prophesied that it was going to occur, that he was going to send judgment. But remember, judgment is what? An act of love. When God brings judgment, it is because of his great love to bring people to repentance. That's why I've said, I believe we are in a season of judgment, that this nation is under judgment because God is calling us unto repentance. And so in that case, Israel was conquered. And then subsequently, Cyrus became the king of Persia. Persia would be what modern-day country? Iran. So Cyrus became the king of Persia, and Persia conquered Babylon. So it would be like modern-day Iran and modern-day Iraq, and Iran would conquer Iraq. And Cyrus then was very favorable to the Jewish people because many of them, like remember Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, people like that, they had been carried off, young men made to live in Babylon, serve the Babylonians and so forth, that when Cyrus conquered the Babylonians, he was very favorable to the Jewish people. And he allowed them to go back to their homeland, and that's what's going on with Zerubbabel, that he's being allowed to go back for a specific mission. What was it? to rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel was a young man who had been born in captivity who then comes up to a position of respect and then the kings, not only Cyrus, but those who followed after him in Persia were favorable to the Jews, allowed them to go back to their homeland and not only allowed them to go back, but even funded them to rebuild that Cyrus was this one who greatly respected and favored the Jews. And so that's what this prophecy is about. That Zechariah is saying to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel went back and he began the building rebuilding of the temple, but for a long period of time, many years, building ceased. But what Zechariah was saying to Zerubbabel is that you are going to be the one to finish it. You started it, you laid its foundation, and that's what the next part of the scripture is there. See where it says, you will bring out the capstone. The capstone is what? The final stone in the construction. And so the prophecy to Zerubbabel is that you started the temple and you are going to finish it, but you are not going to finish it by your own strength, your own power, but you will do it in the power of the Spirit of God. Do you realize anything that is truly good in this world is done by the Spirit of God? What man tries to do is always inadequate, inefficient, and insufficient, and not advancing the kingdom of God. But now, this is a very important mission that he has because this temple is going to stand, once it's rebuilt, and it was, he completed his work. This temple is going to stand and be present at the time of Christ. Now, people think of Herod's temple, but what Herod did was take Zerubbabel's temple and built onto it so that the temple that existed at the time of Christ was referred to as Herod's temple, but it was the temple that Zerubbabel had rebuilt. And so his mission was set forth by God, but he said, not in your own strength. And you see, we live in an age where God is at work. I am convinced that there are thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Christ around the world right now. See, if if you just listen to what all the media is talking about, you will not hear or see what God is doing. A, most of the media doesn't understand to begin with. There are some Christians there, but most don't understand what God is doing anyway, and they don't have eyes to see and ears to hear. But the Spirit of the Lord is at work in a profound way, convicting people of their need for him. Around the world, the fear that has transcended the globe is a place where God is saying, if you'll come unto me, I will set you free from fear, that you can find your peace in him. And do you realize in every corner of the globe, the Spirit of the Lord is, is going out, drawing people unto himself. We are in the season of a great harvest. Now, when I've said that we are being called to repentance in this country, whether we will repent and there will be a revival in this nation, I do not know. I think we hang in the balance. But there is a call going out to the world, and there are places where revival is springing forth in fact some of you may have seen this on in california just in the last two weeks there's been a revival movement there they've been baptizing hundreds of people in the ocean in california it's like something that was going on during the jesus movement of the 60s do you realize this i I watched this um, documentary this week about iran modern day iran not ancient persia and there is a revival movement of Christianity in Iran. You know, Iran is one of the most hardline Muslim countries in the world that has as its primary goal to destroy Israel. I mean, they have, they have stated it. It's quite clear. They've attacked Israel on multiple occasions. Their stated goal is to destroy Israel. They're doing so sometimes directly, but oftentimes by funding the other nations around Israel to attack them like Hezbollah and things like that, uh, funding these types of organizations. And yet, within the borders of Iran, there is a movement of the Spirit of God, where hundreds upon hundreds of people are accepting Christ. And it's it's not among those who are in leadership of Islam; it's among the average people. See, people who live under that oppression know that it's void; it's empty. And they're looking for something more. It's it's people who are the most downtrodden in that country that are coming to know Christ, like the prostitutes and people like that. There's a movement of the Spirit of God among people. And according to this documentary, it says the mosques are empty. That there's still the, the ruling class who portrays that there's something going on there, but the average citizen doesn't want to be there. Do you realize that's one of the things that God has done around the world right now, that by and large the mosques are empty because of what's happening with the virus? The Spirit of God is calling people to himself. And see, it is a time where every single person, that is you and I, need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit just to live. And to be such for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to advance the kingdom of God. You see, far too often in in the American church, we've talked about the Holy Spirit and wanted things about the Holy Spirit, but primarily we wanted the Holy Spirit to advance our kingdom in this world. That is not his purpose. Now look, Jesus said that he was going to send from the Father this promise. that, that the disciples and every disciple thereafter would be clothed with power from on high. And see, unfortunately, we often want power for our own purposes, but the power of the Spirit of the Lord is imparted upon people for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. Jesus made this promise shortly before he ascended into heaven that I will not leave you as orphans. I will send to you the promise who is the counselor, the Holy Spirit. He said this, that I'll ask the Father and he will give you the counselor, the Spirit of truth, who will guide you into all truth. You see, when I encounter today somebody who is teaching something that is not of God, that's false in some way, either they don't know him and the Spirit of truth can't instruct them, or there's a stronghold in them that keeps them from listening to the Spirit. In our culture, a lot of times the the stronghold is, is rational intellectualism that's saying things have to be a certain way rather than listening to the Holy Spirit about his instruction and what is the truth. But he says the world cannot accept him because they can't see him, they can't understand him. That's the case today. The world cannot see what the Spirit of God is doing. I know before I became a Christian that I was totally oblivious to that, as blind as possible. That the, you cannot see what God is doing until the Spirit of God dwells within you and opens your mind and your eyes. In the latter part of that scripture, it says, You will know him because he lives in you, and you will understand this. In fact, this last sentence here, if that was the only thing we knew about the gospel of Christ, it would be overwhelming. Because it says you will realize that I am in the Father, that you are in me, and I am in you. And what Jesus is stating there is that he is in perfect union with God the Father. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are simultaneously in union. They are all simultaneously God. There's no hierarchy between them. And he's saying that you will understand that I am in the Father and then I am in you. Which is just, how do you comprehend that? It's impossible that the spirit of the living God indwells every person who has humbled themselves and called upon the name of the Lord. And yet he does not override you he doesn't force you he's a perfect gentleman he loves you perfectly but you are the temple of the holy spirit the spirit dwells within you and to the extent that you are willing to surrender your life yield to him the more he influences your life and takes control of who you are that that simultaneously constantly the one who created all things is In you. I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend how I could even possibly make a single choice with the spirit of God dwelling within me. How is it that he allows me the freedom to do so? Yet he does. Because of perfect love. And so... There is this need for every one of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when you accept Christ, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. You don't get a percentage of the Spirit. You get all of the Spirit because He's a person. And He comes to indwell you. He seals you for the day of redemption. He will not leave you. However, He does not get all of you. It it would be a very rare, perhaps impossible thing for a person to... Accept Christ and receive all of the Spirit, but simultaneously completely yield everything in them so that the Spirit had complete control of you. And this is why the Scripture talks about being filled. You are baptized in and filled with the Holy Spirit when you are saved, but you need to be continuously refilled, reanointed of the Spirit. And there is not a person in this room who can say that I have completely surrendered everything about my will, my thoughts, my actions, so that the Spirit of God controls me 100% of the time. You see, to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit is really to pray that God would take greater control of you. It's not that he would give you something to For you to be more of your old self it's that you would die to your old self so that he might live more profoundly through you and every single person in this room there there's no exception certainly not me but none of us can say that i do not need a greater empowering of the holy spirit and we live in a time folks when it's absolutely necessary You cannot understand what's going on in this world and live in peace unless you depend upon the Holy Spirit today. That's why I said, you see, if you love the world more than you love God, you will listen to the world more than you listen to the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? If you love the world more than you love God, you will listen to the world more than you listen to the Holy Spirit. And so there's a profound question before you. Have you been listening to the world more than you've been listening to God in the last few months? If so, what will accumulate in your spirit will be fear and apprehension. There will not be peace and joy. I mentioned a few weeks ago, I have intentionally listened less. That is, read less, paid less attention to, to media and news and all those things during the season in order to listen more clearly to the Lord. In fact, just about any time I catch a, a, a glimpse of some news report, I get apprehensive. And I immediately say, enough of that. I don't want any part of it. In fact... You recall that I was in Ireland when this whole COVID restriction thing broke out and like our flights were canceled. We had a hard time getting home and so forth. And, but eventually we went by way of Amsterdam and we were in Atlanta. I was sitting in the Atlanta airport as peaceful as could be, despite the fact that we'd been through all kinds of difficult things. And what was on on the televisions in the Atlanta airport? You know what it is. If you travel to Atlanta, you know what it is. What is it? CNN. And I listened to about five minutes of wolf blaster and said mm, i'm out of here because it was it was causing my spirit to be discontented rather than in pc if you're listening to the holy spirit he will give you peace in the midst of any trial in the midst of any storm but if you're watching the world listening to the world living by sight it will not happen see this is why the church right now more than ever needs to repent of loving the world and repent of listening to the world and listen to the spirit of God now lastly the scripture says this and you're probably all very familiar with it it's Pentecost it says that when Pentecost came, they were all together in one place and they were waiting as, as God had instructed them, as Christ had instructed them, to be empowered from on high. And so it says that it seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came upon them, that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, that they began to speak in tongues as they were enabled, that there was this empowering of people, but for what purpose? What purpose? from that day forward for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. And how does the kingdom of God advance? One person at a time. It's one salvation at a time or one person who's growing in maturity in Christ so that they're being used of God. It's one person at a time that the kingdom of God advances. And that's exactly what was here, that the Spirit of God Remember, this, these are ordinary people, tax collectors and fishermen. Well, wait, fishermen aren't ordinary people. But, but, uh, but these were just ordinary people. And the Spirit of God poured out upon them to advance the kingdom of God. And from that day forth, it has been advancing all along ever since. The words of Peter, spoken that day, where he got up and described that people said, oh, they're drunk and stuff. He said, no, they're not drunk. The Spirit of God is upon them. This is what the prophet Joel had said would occur in the last days, that he would pour out his Spirit upon all people. The scripture there says that your sons and daughters will prophesy and see visions and dream dreams you know some of the people coming to know christ in the middle east right now i hear reports of this they're coming through dreams they're having dreams about the spirit of the living god about jesus himself and coming to know him in that way the holy spirit is calling out the people all over the world continuously and so this is what peter was saying that on poem, both men and women, the Spirit of God is going to pour out in the last days. And you see, if they thought that they were in the last days, that this was the initiation point of the last days, you and I should recognize we are absolutely very close. It may not happen in our lifetimes, but it might. And see, this is why last year you'll call I, I spoke about urgency. Every single person in this room needs to have a sense of urgency about knowing Christ and doing His will. And the only way you can do that is to be a person who is filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, listening to the Spirit for your daily journey. And you see, in every place you go in society, you need to be a Spirit-filled Christian to fulfill the mission that God has for you. Like, let's say you're a public school teacher and you're about to go back to school here, or a private school teacher, or a homeschool teacher. There's going to be a lot of those this fall. That if you're a teacher, you need the Spirit of God upon you to fulfill the mission that God has for you in relating to those children. Every person in every corner of society... It, you know, there's this false idea that we've tried to dispel that somehow there are those in the church who have a special anointing and they do the ministry. It's an absolute lie. It is every person who knows Christ, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a part of the royal priesthood, that you are a temple of God, and you're walking around constantly to display the ministry of Christ wherever you go. And you and I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every day to do so. So this is how we're going to conclude. The worship team is going to come back. And I would ask you that you would pray that the spirit of the living God would do a fresh work in you. That he would give you a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit that he would bestow upon you every gift of the Spirit that he desires to give to you. See, there is not a person who wisely could ever say, Lord, I don't want anything. See, that's very unwise. The wise person who has come to a place of understanding who Christ is is a person who is saying, Lord, I want you to take total control of my life and do whatever you want to do through me and empower me with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God one person at a time. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.